Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join Executive Pastor Will Price for the message, Two Lies and the Truth. Welcome to the weekend after Easter, also known as Associate Pastor's Day. Right, guys like me all over the world have this great opportunity to teach. Either that or the pastor needed a break, right? <laughs> but uh, no, we love our pastor, right? Amen. Come on, we love our pastor. And uh, I tell you what, um, I know him well, he works hard and he absolutely deserves a break and I'm super excited to be able to stand here today and share God's word with you. Um, the title of my message is Two Lies and a Truth. Two Lies and a Truth. Before we jump in, I'm curious though, how many of you have ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie? Just lift up your hand. Okay, wow, not as many of you as I would have thought. So if you've never played the game Two Truths and a Lie, it basically goes like this. One person tells three statements about their life and then you have to guess which one is a lie? It's two truths and a lie, and we're gonna play right now. You guys ready? So here's three statements about my life. You have to guess which one is a lie. Number one, I was born and raised in the great state of Arkansas. Number two, I am a Miami Dolphins fan. And number three, in 2012, I failed to reach the 18,491 foot summit of Pico de Orizaba due to AMS, which is acute mountain sickness. Now by a show of hands, how many of you believe that number one is the lie? Okay, some hands went up, very few, all right. Uh, how many of you believe that number two is the lie? <laughs> wow, lots of hands. How many of you that just put your hand up are, are Miami Dolphins fans? Okay, okay. Very few. Okay, how many of you believe number three is the lie? All right, cool. Well, here's the deal. I am happily and thankful for the great state of Arkansas is where I was born and raised. Go Razorbacks. Um, number three, uh, I did fail to reach the summit of Pico de Orizaba due to AMS. And let me tell you, number two, I am not a Miami Dolphins fan. Go Patriots! All right. Just so you know, that's a lie too. I don't like the Patriots. But I do have a man crush on Tom Brady. How can you not, right? So, yeah. So fun game, right? Fun guessing game there. And um, here's the thing. Today we're talking about two lies and a truth. Two lies and a truth. And as we get into God's word, what we're gonna realize is that it's not a game. <laughs> it's, it's not a game. It's, it's serious. The stuff that we're dealing with today is, is, is serious. And I tell you what, I am thankful for this book right here because this, this book right here is truth and there's no guessing game when it comes to it. Are you thankful for God's word this morning? Amen, amen. So uh, we're gonna be in the book of 1 John chapter one, verses one, uh, verse one. We're gonna go all the way through uh, chapter two, verse six, hopefully. Um, and if you're there, can you just let me know you got it by saying, got it. Okay. I'll wait on the other 400 of you, 500 of you to, you guys got it? Okay, let's do this. Let's pray and then we're gonna, 
talk about a little bit of background information about 1 John, and then we'll dive into verse one. So God, we thank you for the opportunity to get into your word. We thank you that it's truth. We thank you that there's no guessing game when it comes to your word. God, as we deal with a difficult subject today, I pray that we would not be discouraged, that we would not feel condemned, but instead, Lord, I pray that your word would bring about hope and healing in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the book of 1 John, and the thing about the the book of 1 John is that the author does not identify himself, okay? But from the first century until now, um, it is widely accepted that the apostle John is the author. Now, what we know about the apostle John was that when he wrote this book, he was uh, in his old age, and during that time, he had settled in Ephesus, which was in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. Now, it was in that area that uh, there was this melting pot of ideas and philosophies and religions, and one of the big heresies of the day was Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism is from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know, and the Gnostics believed that they had a superior knowledge of things. They, they, they believed that they knew things and that they were superior to other people who didn't know those things. More specifically, Gnosticism was a mixture of pagan, Jewish, and quasi-Christian systems of thought. Now, one of their systems of thought uh, or beliefs was this little heresy called dualism. Dualism. They believed, based off this idea of dualism, that everything matter, okay, anything of substance, my flesh, this music stand, the the ground that you stand on, anything matter was inherently evil. They also taught that everything in the spirit realm was good, and so from that system of thought, they concluded that there was no way that Jesus could have been a human, all right? They, 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 they accepted his deity, but they said there's no way that Jesus could have been a human because uh, a, a good God would not wrap himself in evil flesh, all right? That was one of their teachings. Not only that, but this, This thought of of dualism also led them uh, to just being indifferent about moral and ethical behavior. And so they believed that the body was sort of a prison that the spirit uh, was, was, was locked up in. And so they taught that sin committed in the body had no um, effect or connection to the spirit. And so For the Gnostics, it was a little bit of a free-for-all when it came to uh, immoral behavior and unethical behavior. Now, why do I share all that with you? Well, I share that because it's the occasion for John's letter. It's the reason why he was writing this letter to these believers. And so what John is going to do in the scripture that we're gonna read today is three things. He's going to, number one, he's gonna confirm Christ's humanity. 
Number two, he's going to uh, instruct and correct the believers concerning sin. And then finally, he's going to affirm their salvation. And so with that, let's go ahead and look at 1 John chapter one, beginning in verse one. And we're gonna see what the apostle John had to say about these things. John opens his letter with this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. So John opens his letter here to testify, to proclaim that he has first-hand experience with the man Jesus. John tells us that he heard his human voice, perhaps as Jesus taught the crowds during his earthly ministry. John tells us that he saw Jesus, perhaps when he performed miracles. He tells us that he had physical contact with Jesus, maybe a handshake, maybe a hug. What is John doing? He's defending Jesus' humanity. Remember, the Gnostics said that Jesus didn't have humanity. They claimed that he was only a spirit. John opens his letter and says, no, I saw, I heard, I touched, and now I proclaim to you. And why is he proclaiming? Look at verse three. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and then quickly he adds, Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and there's more, that our joy may be complete. What's Pastor John getting at? Well, ladies and gentlemen, what I would submit to you this morning is that what John is getting at is that if you wanna have fellowship with other believers, and if you wanna have fellowship with God, that you have to be right about Jesus. You have to be right about his humanity, as John tells us here in the scriptures, and I would add, because of the cultural climate that we live in, that you have to be right about his deity. Ladies and gentlemen, if you deny either of those, what you have to understand is that the good news of the gospel falls flat, and you don't get fellowship, and I don't get fellowship, and we don't get to experience the true joy of this salvation that is taught in this book. You know, it's interesting to me, back then, these people that John was writing to, they, they easily accepted Jesus' deity, but they struggled with his humanity. Nowadays, though, people easily accept Jesus' humanity, right? There's way too much historical evidence to argue against his human existence, but what do they struggle with? 
They struggle with his deity, right? It's, it's, it's like the, uh, the great debate of, of all time, right? Was, was Jesus really God, right? Did he really live as a man? And I don't know where you are today with this great debate of, of, our, of our time, but what, what I would tell you is this, is that you cannot be in fellowship, you cannot be in relationship, you cannot belong to the family of God and experience the true joy of salvation from your sins unless you get this right concerning his humanity and his deity, all right? And so what I wanna do this morning is I wanna actually jump out of the text for just a moment and talk about why Jesus' humanity and his deity are so important, why they are foundational for us as believers. And so I'm gonna start with his humanity. I've got three things to share about that. I'll share one thing about his deity, and then we'll go back to the text. Here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus had to be born as a human, and here's three reasons why. Number one is outlined in Galatians chapter four, verses four and five, and it says this. But when the time had fully come, okay, so, so you go all the way back to creation. God created the heavens. He created the earth. He put man on it. There was the fall. There was the judges and the kings and, and the prophets and all of Old Testament history. And then, then when the time had fully come, God sent his son. What's his name? Jesus. Born of a woman. That's of the flesh. Born of under law, which was given in the Old Testament. Why? To redeem those under law. That's you and me. Okay, what's this all about? Well, so that we might receive full rights as sons. Okay, so what does this mean? Okay, here's God's law, right? God's, God's law is, is, is holiness, it's righteousness, it's perfection, right? And, and, and God's law requires that, that you and I live up to that, right? And, and, and you and I are, are born under that law. Please understand, animals are not born under that law. Spirit beings, i.e. angels, are not born under the law. Only humans are born under the law. And only a human could redeem other humans born under the same law. Are you with me? In fact, I would add this, that only a perfect human could perfectly keep the law and fulfill it, thereby redeeming all other humans from the penalty of not keeping the law. And what I would submit to you this morning is that Jesus was that perfect human. Jesus had to be human. He had to be human, number one, because as Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, when the time had fully come, God sent him, he was born human, under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive full rights of son. And then number two, that God established the necessity of the shedding of blood. Why, why did Jesus have to be human? Because God said that human blood had to be shed in order for the remission or the removing of sins. We're gonna put up Hebrews chapter 9, 22. It says this. It says, indeed, under the law, 
almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or canceling out of sins. So, so follow me here, okay? In the Old Testament, they used the blood of what to appease God? Animals, they used the blood of animals. What we have to understand is that the blood of animals was only acceptable on a temporary basis as a foreshadowing of the blood of a perfect human that was to come, right? Animal blood was, was insufficient for the permanent remission of sins. It only gave temporary appeasement to God. Hebrews 10.4 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And ladies and gentlemen, this is where the human Jesus comes into play. Okay, Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God, sacrificed his human body and he shed his human blood. Why? To take away our sins forever. If he were not human, this would not have been possible, right? And so Jesus' humanity is so important for these reasons. Number one, because only a human born under the law could redeem other humans from the law. Number two, God established the necessity of the shedding of blood. And then number three, I would say this, that believing in Jesus' humanity is a prerequisite for salvation, now don't misunderstand me, we're saved by faith, grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. But we have to be right about that Christ that we have faith in. And the scripture is very clear, just a couple of chapters over, if you wanna turn there in 1 John chapter four, two and three, that we have to be right about Jesus' humanity. Here's what it says. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in thee, Flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. My friends, hear this today. Jesus' humanity is a biblical truth that cannot be denied. Without it, you don't get fellowship with God and you don't experience the true joy of salvation. That's why his humanity is important now let's look at one reason why his deity is so important, okay? And, and by the way, Christ's deity was not in question here in 1 John uh, chapter one, okay? But it is in question today in our culture, right? As I said earlier, people back then easily accepted his deity, but they denied his humanity. People now, they accept his humanity, but they deny his deity. And here's why it's so important that we have to be right about Jesus' deity. Go ahead and put up that next point. We have to get this right. Here, here it is. Jesus, it's because Jesus' deity allowed him to be the final perfect sacrifice that satisfies God's wrath against sin forever. Okay, do, do, do you follow that? Here's, you guys with me? If you're with me, say I'm with you, pastor. We're going deep here. I, I don't wanna lose you. Listen to this, listen, listen, listen. 
Since the fall of man, okay? And if you're new to the Bible, it can be found in Genesis chapter three, 21 through 23, okay? But since the fall of man, the only way to be made right with God has been the blood of an innocent sacrifice. Innocent, perfect, spotless sacrifice. Just a couple of examples here. Leviticus 9 and 2, God said, get a bull calf and a ram, both without blemish. Numbers 28, 19, God said, see that these sacrifices that you are, are making to me are perfect, without blemish, right? What you need to understand is that the idea of a perfect sacrifice never changed, okay? And, and it was Jesus' deity, his divine nature, that allowed him to be that perfect, spotless, sinless sacrifice that you and I needed to redeem us from the penalty of the law. Okay, are you, are you with me? His humanity allowed him to shed human blood, which was necessary to satisfy the Father. It was his divine nature that allowed him to be perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. If Jesus were just a good man, or just a good teacher, or just some good prophet, let me tell you something. He would have been born from a man and a woman, and he would have had sin nature, and he could not have been perfect. And in that case, his death and his resurrection would have no power to save anyone, and we're completely wasting our time this morning. But I'm here to tell you today that, be, that because Jesus is deity, right? Deity wrapped in human flesh, okay? Human with a holy nature, that he did live a perfect life that you and I could never live, and then he died the death that we should have died. Why? To pay for our sins and take them away forever. Isn't that good? Yes. Listen, and, and here's the thing. Knowing, this is what John is getting at to his believers. He's saying, I'm proclaiming this to you. you. You gotta get this right. Knowing and believing this stuff is so foundational to who we are as Christians. It's foundational to having fellowship, first and foremost, with God, but then with each other as believers and experiencing the joy of true salvation. Amen? That's 1 John chapter 1, 1 through Four, unpacked, broken down, dissected, all the way, as they say, at Waffle House, all right? Now, let's look at verses five through 10. John goes on to say this, that this is the message we have heard from this God-man, him, this, this Jesus, this very human man that was God and proclaim to you that, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful, and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, well, we make him a liar, and his 
word is not in us, right? So, so, so John in verse five says that God is light. What does that mean? Well, what it means is that God is spiritually and morally perfect, that God is holy, that God is righteous, and, and, and he contrasts uh, uh, God's light with darkness, and he says that there is no darkness in God at all. And then he says this, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with this God that is light, in other words, if we say we belong to him and that we are united with him and yet we walk in darkness, then we lie and we do not practice the truth. This is serious, isn't it? Heavy, I would say, moment of truth. This is a, a, a dangerous, dangerous lie that we can believe as followers of Jesus Christ. The, the title of my message is Two Lies and a Truth. This is your first lie, and it is that, that I am a follower of Jesus and I can live in sin. I am a follower of Jesus and I can live in sin. Now, I, I don't believe that anybody says this, but what I know is that people do live this. That th this lie that, that I'm a follower of Jesus and I can live in sin. Look at verse six. If we say we have fellowship, we say we belong to him, that we're united with him, but we walk in darkness. That word walk is very important. Underline it, circle it, highlight it, whatever you need to do. That word is so important because here's what it means. That word walk means to live predominantly. To live predominantly. And what it suggests is that one way that we can sort of dilute the power of the resurrection over sin and death in our lives is to believe that as a follower of Jesus that that my, my disposition in life can be sin, that, that, that I can claim to know Christ while my disposition is to sin more than it is obedience to Christ. And, and my fear is that some of you are living this way. And, 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 and if that's you, if you're here today and you claim to know Christ, but if you're being honest, your disposition is towards sin, first of all, let me tell you something. I love you and, and I'm glad that you're here but my heart breaks for you because your life right now is more defined by sin and disobedience than it is obedience and devotion to Jesus. And so for you, instead of growing, and since we're talking about God's light, glowing as a follower of Jesus, right? Instead of growing in obedience, what are you doing? You're living in patterns of sin. You, you, you live predominantly in sin. And I just don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't mean to be condescending or, or to put, I, my goal here is not to put you to shame or, or to convict you or, or any of that, but, but I do wanna ask you, why, why are you living this way? Why are you claiming to know Christ but having this disposition of sin? I just, I wanna challenge you to think about that. Maybe you were, were taught that it's okay 
Maybe it's the example that you saw from your parents and so now you're just kind of copying what, what they did. Maybe, maybe it's a conclusion that you drew on your own. I don't really know, but some of you are here today and you're living this lie. You're here at church, you sang the songs, maybe you dropped a tithe in the bucket, you're going through the motion, but, but, but there's no obedience in your life or devotion to Christ Monday through Saturday. You're claiming to know Christ and you're living in sin. It is a lie. It, it, it's a lie. John goes on to say in verse eight, we're gonna jump to verse eight, that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So the first lie is I'm a follower of Jesus and I can live in sin, but then the second lie that John points out is that, here it is, I'm a follower of Jesus and I don't sin. Very interesting to me. You know, John just wasn't shooting from the hip here and throwing something out that he thought they might need to hear. No, people were saying this, right? People were saying this, that, 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 that I, I don't sin. And, and I, I bet with a room this size that some of you are here today and you would say, I'm a good person or I, I don't really do wrong things, right? That's pretty common in our culture, isn't it? You hear that a lot. I think for John and his readers, it went beyond that to say that the presence of sin is entirely removed from my life. If you remember, the Gnostics were teaching these people that you know, what's done in the body has no effect on the spirit and so live how you want. You know? And so they were like, okay, but in the spirit realm, I have no sin, I, I'm, I, I don't sin. And, and I'm, I wanna tell you this, I'm not gonna say any names, but I was talking to someone the other day and they told me that they were sitting at Starbucks with a couple of believers and that one of the believers said, you know, as a follower of Christ, I'm so thankful that I don't sin anymore. You know, and so, so, so I'm like putting this message together and I'm thinking, okay, here's a lie that John's pointing out to his readers, but people don't say that. They don't say that. And then my buddy's like, no, actually, I had a conversation the other day and someone said that. It blew me away. It blew me away. People, people believe this stuff, that number one, I'm a follower of Jesus and I can live in sin, and number two, I'm a follower of Jesus and I don't sin. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna share, a, 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 I guess like a broad Bible-based uh, response to those two lies, and then we're gonna dial down specifically on what Pastor John had to say to hear his, his readers. So, so here's a, 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 a broad Bible-based response to those lies. Um, and here, here's what the Bible teaches about sin in the life of a believer. You guys with me? I know we're going deep. All right, I, I sense a, a heaviness in the room, so here's what I wanna do. I want everybody to stand up. Everybody get up, take a deep breath, stretch. If you're an introvert, don't worry, I'm not gonna ask you to rub the person's shoulders next to you, nothing like that. We, we, we're going in today, and I just feel like we need a little bit of a break, okay? So, okay, you guys feel good? Yeah. All right, you can take a seat. Here's a, a broad Bible-based response to two lies. One, that I'm a, a follower of Jesus and I can live in sin, 
And two, I'm a follower of Jesus and I don't sin. Here's the thing, the Bible makes it very clear that when we come to faith in Jesus, we are regenerated. Regenerated, big Bible word that basically means this, that we're made entirely new. Not kinda new, not, not just parts of my life new, no. In Christ, we are completely new. In Christ, we get a new identity. And here's the thing, the power, everybody say power. The power of sin that once enslaved me is destroyed and sin no longer has power over me. But the Bible makes it very clear that the presence of sin still exists in the life of every believer, right? We don't have to be slaves to it, right? It has no power over us anymore, but it has potential. Sin does to rear its ugly head in my life until I die or Jesus takes me home. Lord Jesus, come now, right? Wouldn't that be great? Yes, I can't wait. Here's the thing. To say I'm a follower of Jesus and I can continue to live in sin or to say that I'm a follower of Jesus and because of that I'm a really good person now is a lie and it's deceptive and it's very dangerous and I'll tell you why. Because this type of mindset can lead you and I to drop our guard. Right, I, I think about somebody in a boxing match, right? Right, you know, you, you got your guard up, you, you're, you're, you're def, you know, defending yourself, you're, you're ready for the attack, right? Like, what idiot boxer would drop his guard, you know? He's gonna get knocked out, right? That's what happens when we have this mindset that, that I'm a good person or I don't sin anymore, or that as a follower of Jesus that I can just do what I want. We, what happens in that moment is we drop our guard and, 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 and this mindset, it can, it can deceive us into thinking that we're something that we're not. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not Jesus, okay? There was only one man who was born without a sin nature, and his name is Jesus. You and I were born with a sin nature, okay? Let, let, me, let me tell you something. Um, with all due respect, you're not good, okay? And, I, and let me just, I don't mean to offend anybody, and, and I'll say this very quickly. I'm not good. I'm rotten to the core, okay? I am, ask my wife, she'll tell you. I, I'm, not, I'm not a good person. Like outside of my relationship with Jesus, I'm not a good person. Like I, I have struggles, okay? You're not, you're not Jesus. We're not on his level, okay? And, 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 but, but we get, I don't know, people just get stuck with these lies that, oh, I'm a follower and I can keep living the way I want. I'm a follower and I'm a good person, right? And, and here's what happens. When we, when we begin to think like that, we stop being vigilant in this process that God is taking us through to become more and more like Jesus. And, and, and probably what's worse is that when we believe lies like this, let me tell you something, the genuineness of your salvation totally comes into question. Right? My Bible tells me that no one who knows God keeps on sinning. And, 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 that, that, and Jesus said, if you, if you love me, right, you'll keep my what? 
Okay, so here, here's the thing. I just want you to evaluate your life today. Evaluate your relationship with the Lord today. And be honest, you, and ask yourself, am I thinking, saying, or living either of these lies? Am I claiming to know Christ and yet I have this private concealed life of sin that I'm refusing to allow him to shine his light on? Do, do I believe that I'm a good person that doesn't really do wrong things? And listen, I, like I said earlier, I know this, this can come across condemning, but you guys, that's not why I'm here today. I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to convict. I'm not here to shame. I'm here to give you hope. I'm here because all week I've been laboring and, and wrestling and praying for your good. Okay, that's why I'm here today. And, and so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna get back into 1 John and I'm gonna share some really great news with you if you're struggling with either of these issues today, either of these lies. And honestly, it is so perplexing I've been wrestling with it all week. I've never read this passage the same since I've dug in. And I'm gonna tell you something. It is so good. It's perplexing, but it, as we wade through it, I'm telling you, it's worth it. It's gonna make total sense. And it's so good. Okay, if you're with me, Sam, with you, Pastor. Okay, this is so perplexing. Listen to this. On one hand, what we've learned so far is that if we say we have fellowship with God while we live in sin that, that we're liars, right? So, so we cannot say I have fellowship with God while we live in sin. On the other hand, we can't claim to be without sin if we want fellowship with God. Is that not perplexing to you? Okay, so, so, so here's, here's the question we need to wrestle with. How do we walk in the light as he is in the light and get fellowship with him when, when there's still sin in our lives. Okay, check out verses seven and nine. In verse seven, John says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then one, we get fellowship with one another, that's with each other and with God. And number two, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And verse nine, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? I want you to circle, highlight, underline, whatever you need to do, the words walk and the word confess. Walk and confess. We dealt with this word walk earlier, didn't we? It's back again. If you were taking notes, what did we say that word walk means? To live predominantly. What is John saying? He's saying if we live predominantly in the light, predominantly, not perfectly, because we're not Jesus and God understands that. Does that make sense? If, if we live predominantly in the life, and this is where the truth comes in. It's so good, it's so freeing. You need to listen to this, okay? John, go ahead and put that point up. This, this is the truth right here. 
This is what, this is what John is getting at. He's, he's telling us that living predominantly plus confessing regularly equals fellowship and forgiveness. And we're, I'm just gonna leave that up. Let's, let's, let's think about this for a second, okay? What you need to know is that following Jesus, okay, getting this stuff right, as hard and perplexing as it is, it's not about perfectionism. It's not about perfection, it's about direction. What, what we need to understand today is that we need to be predominantly and progressively walking in holiness and righteousness. But he also says in verse nine that, listen, if, 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 we, if we mess up, here's the good news, okay? Sin happens in the light. Do you see that? Because it's so perplexing because at first it's like, it's like if, 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 if we, God is light, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And it's like, we all know how bad we are. Like if we're being honest, we, know, we all know how bad we are. And so it's like, it's perplexing. Like how, okay, how do I do this? Am I supposed to be perfect, right? No, John is saying, no, 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 no. No, you can be in the light and, and sin can happen in the light. All right, the key here is that when we walk in the light and we fail in the light, guess what? We see it, right? We're in the light and so we see it. We see the light shining on the dark recesses of our lives. We see it, but you know what? We hate it. We don't like it. We don't want it in our lives. And so what do we do? We practice verse nine. We confess it. And, and, and what do we get? We get forgiveness and we get cleansing from our sin. This is the truth, two lies. I can follow Jesus and live in sin or I can follow Jesus and I don't sin. No, 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 no. Here's, here's what we need to hang on to today. This is the truth. God is calling us to live predominantly for him, progressively, actively, pursuing righteousness, pursuing holiness. But guess what? We're gonna miss the mark. And all we gotta do is add confession regularly and we're gonna get that fellowship and we're gonna get that forgiveness that we so desperately need. Does that make sense? It's, it's the great contrast between light and dark for the believer. Okay, walking in darkness is claiming to know Christ but failing to reflect his holiness and then attempting to hide it or ignore it. Walking in light, contrastly, is claiming to know Christ, failing only sometimes, right? Because we're progressively pursuing holiness, but it's failing only sometimes to reflect his holiness, but we do something about it because we hate it and we don't want it in our lives. We wanna be more like Christ, right? Does this make sense? Listen, if you're here today and you have hidden sin, why is it hidden? Consider this glorious truth here. Like there's no reason to hide it. Why are you hiding it? Is it a pride issue? Do you, do you maybe underestimate God's grace and fear that you've messed up beyond repair? Are you afraid of judgment from the people sitting around you right now? Can I just tell you, you are never gonna find fellowship. You're never gonna find that sense of 
belonging that you're looking for because I know you're looking for it. It's why you're here, you're looking for it. You're never gonna find it until you come clean about your sin. Come clean today. Pastor Mike's gonna come out later and he's gonna give you an opportunity where you can come forward and, and confess, whether it's with someone or by yourself, but, but come clean today. Confess your sin. I promise you this, in this fellowship of believers, in this church, you're not gonna get judgment, you're gonna get grace, and you're gonna get love, and you're gonna get truth, and we're gonna preach hope into your life. And if anyone does anything different, you tell me, I'll take care of them. All right, but that's, that's, that, that, that's our God, that's our good Father, isn't it? God of love and grace and truth, right? The truth, we need that too. But he's a God of love and he's a, a God of grace. Now, does, does this great love and grace of our God give us a license to keep on sinning? Sorry? No. Thank you, no, 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 no. Look at chapter two. First John chapter two, John goes on, he says this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Right, he's saying, look, this stuff that I just shared with you, it's some really good gospel truth that should compel you not to sin, right? You're no longer slaves to sin anymore. Right? You have victory over sin. Sin does not have power over you anymore. But if you do sin, and you will, here's the great news. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate means defense attorney. Anyone ever been charged with a crime and had to stand before a judge with a defense attorney? Don't raise your hands. Don't, 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 don't. don't. <laughs> I don't want people to judge you, okay? But no, some of us have, and that's okay. But you know when you're charged with something and you stand before the judge, do you, do you know what you look like? You look like whatever your defense attorney makes you look like, right? And, and if he or she is stumbling and stammering and, 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 and fumbling around and, and looking bad, guess what? You're in trouble because you're a reflection of your defense attorney. But if your defense attorney is smart and wise and articulate and represents you well, guess what? You're a reflection of your defense attorney. Aren't you glad that Jesus, the God-man, is your defense attorney, standing before God the Father, <laughs> representing you. It's so good, isn't it? John says he is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means appeasement. What, what it means here is that, that Jesus is the sacrifice that bears God's wrath and then turns it into favor. Isn't that good? Right, because of Jesus, listen, 
let me, let me add this. Because you're, a, because you're a sinner, right? But, but, but Jesus, because of Jesus, we get, we get God's favor instead of getting his wrath. That, that's, he is the propitiation for our sins. And you know, I, I thought about this this week. Here's what's so cool. Most defense attorneys argue innocence, right? Most of the time, your defense attorney is going to deny your guilt. Maybe they're gonna plea ignorance or they're gonna plea insanity on behalf of you. You know what Jesus does, though? He actually stands before the Father and admits your guilt. He admits your guilt before the Father. And then he looks the Father right in the eyes and says, though they are guilty, I took the punishment for them when I died on the cross. Let them go free. Isn't that so good? He is our advocate. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, I love this, but also for the sins of the whole world, right? You guys know it, John three sixteen. for God so loved the, the world, right? The gospel, John is saying, the gospel is universal in its reach. It's available to everyone. North American, South American, Canadian, Go ahead and shout out your nationality. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The gospel is, he is a propitiation for our sins, but not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. And what I want you to understand right now in this moment is that he wants to use people like me and people like you to get this gospel out to the whole world. What we have to understand is that if we're gonna be effective in that, then we have to get the rest of the chapter right as best we can in the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Can you put that, the truth back up, John? God wants to use you and he wants to use me to get the good news of the gospel out. And if if by the power of the Holy Spirit, we live predominantly as best we can for him and confess regularly when we mess up, we're gonna get fellowship and we're gonna get forgiveness and we're gonna be the light of the world that God has called us to be. And then he's gonna just, he's gonna grow his church and we're gonna get to be a part of that. Okay? Let's keep going. Verse four, I'm sorry, verse three. Before, before, before I read that, here's what I, I wanna say something. I know that with a message like this, that there's, there's conviction, it's, it's heavy. Some of you are here today. You walked an aisle, you said a prayer, you know, whatever. But you're not living for God. Some of you are here today and you are, 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 are struggling to know 
whether or not you're even a believer, right? You, you look at your life, you hear the word of God preached and you're like, man, I, I don't even know where I'm at with this whole God thing. Here's some good news for you today. Listen to this. By this, we know, okay? By this, we know. I want you to take heart today because I believe what John is telling us here is that assurance of salvation is absolutely possible. Like you don't have to leave here and not know. By this, we know that we have come to know him, help me finish it, if we keep his commandments. Do you think John is contradicting himself now? In other words, do you think that what he said in five through 10, he's contradicting himself now by saying, and by this we know that we keep his commandments. Like, do you think he's saying now that, oh, you you gotta get this right perfect? No, 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 He's he's not saying that. He's saying that living predominantly plus confessing regularly equals fellowship, and, and forgiveness, it, it, by that we can know that we know him is what John is saying, okay? Whoever says I know him but does not do this is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to, there it is again, in the same way in which he walked. Anybody need to hear that today? Listen, we, we can know that we know God and, and John gives us a self-diagnosis. Okay, there's an objective external test here and it's, it's the fruit or the lack thereof in your life. And so I know I'm going over, but listen, ask yourself this morning, do I have a changed life marked by obedience to God's commands? Marked by, not perfectly. Do I have a changed life marked by God's commands? How am I handling the issue of sin in my life? It, it, do, do I admit it and quit it or, or is there a pattern of sin in my life? What's the general direction of my life? Ask yourself this morning, am, am I progressively becoming more and more a reflection of Jesus Christ? Am I growing in compassion? Am I growing in love towards others? And by the way, obedience does not justify you as a child of God, but obedience as a pattern of life does give evidence and assurance that you are a child of God. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides ought to walk or live predominantly in the way in which he lived. Do you know that you know? I'm gonna leave you with a quote and then Pastor Mike Lawrence is gonna come out and give you some next steps. Spurgeon said this, he said, if any man may not be sure he is in Christ, he ought not to be easy one moment until he is so. Dear friends, without the fullest confidence as to your safe condition, you have no right to be at ease, and I pray you may, may never be so. This is a matter too important to be left undecided upon. Full assurance is not essential for your salvation, but it is essential to your satisfaction in your salvation. May you get it, may you get it at once, at any rate, may you never be satisfied to live without it.